Welcome to Write Into Your High Calling with author and professor Sherry McGriff. Write Into Your High Calling is dedicated to inspiring you, equipping you, and challenging you to steward the call of writing that God has on your life. So if you're up for it, let's get started. The following episode is from the interview series, Pinning for Purpose, How to Win the Culture War and Bring Hope with Your Writing. It can be watched on rumble.com forward slash C forward slash Write Into Your High Calling or the Write Into Your High Calling Rumble channel. It can also be seen as a free course on the writersacademy.net forward slash pinning, P-E-N-N-I-N-G, which is also where our fiction and nonfiction courses are hosted. So it's an awesome way to watch or, hey, listen in here. Bye. Enjoy the interview. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Pinning for Purpose, How to Win the Culture War and Bring Hope with Your Writing. So today I have a great treat for you. I have my friend Tanya Caxon. Is that the way I pronounce it? It's Caxon, like no C. Say it again. It's Cassin, like there's not a C. Cassin. Okay. Yeah, I'm always doing that wrong. I apologize. No um, <laughs> so let me um let me read you her bio. I mean, this woman is fierce, you guys, and she's powerful and she's inspiring. Um, and uh, so let me tell you a little bit about her, and then we'll have her talk. So. Tanya Casson is a dedicated advocate for parents' rights and education and a passionate community leader. That's an understanding. Um, originally from Louisiana, she enlisted in the Air Force after 9-11 and served at MacDill Air Force Base, where she met her husband. Together, they started a family while on active duty and eventually settled in Clay County and now, now have Clay County, Florida, now have two high schoolers. After getting out of the Air Force, she had a desire to continue serving her community. So Tanya pursued a career in teaching, specializing in history and civics. However, after a time, she became disillusioned by the state of the education system and left teaching and took on the role of chair and founder for the local Moms for Liberty group. Um, Tanya, along with what she calls her joyful warriors, works tirelessly to hold elected officials accountable and improve schools, um, and also empowers other parents and grandparents to stand up for their beliefs and their kids. Her unwavering dedication and commitment make her a respected leader that drives positive change and ensures parents have a voice in their children's education. So welcome, Tanya. Thank you. <laughs> so, Tanya, tell me uh, a little bit about yourself and what you're doing right now. Okay, well, so you got most of it, my background. Um, I was in education for a long time. Um, I got disillusioned by what was happening in the education system. And at the time, and probably because I was so close to it, I didn't see the full picture. And it wasn't until I got out of education that I began to see more about what was going on and, and have a deeper understanding of it. And um, so I did uh, start this chapter. Um, of Moms for Liberty, I will say that it was kind of a, a hesitant uh, kind of approach to it at first. I was asked to do it. And I was like, the usual excuses, I do not have time in my life for this right now. Um, 
I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm just, I'm just a mom now. I'm not in education, you know, all the excuses that we give ourselves and um, God just laid it on my heart. And he does how he deals with me. When I say, I don't want to do something is he kind of rolls it around in my head when I'm supposed to be sleeping. Um, and he just laid it really heavy on my heart and I said, okay, God, I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, and from there, it's just kind of, it's grown so much. Um, I'm so proud of the work that we've been doing. Um, our community is amazing. Uh, we have just so much people like you, and I appreciate you so much too, um, for all the work that you do. And we have this group of people with all these different skill sets and all these different backgrounds working towards the same goal. And it's just such an amazing thing to be a part of. Um, and I'm just very grateful that I did listen to the Lord and, and took this on. And I'm excited about that. Our chapter um, has been really focused on, we started out with a porn, which I'm sure we'll discuss at some point, but our libraries are real with it. It's absolutely despicable. Um, we're working really, really hard on the legislative side um, right now to see what we can get passed legislatively um, to help all hold these schools accountable because they don't want to do anything that they're not required to do by law. It's not like let's do the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing for children. It's they, they only want to do the things um, that they're required by law. Um, so we're pushing really hard on that. Um, and then we're holding our elected official accountable. And we do that by, we lobby, we ask, you know, hey, this is what's best for our kids. We, we want to sit at the table. And if they won't do that, then we'll just replace them with somebody that will. Um, and that's where we are. We've changed our school board. I'm super proud of that work. Um, get that ball rolling. And I'm hoping that, you know, through that, we're able to make the changes that we need. Um, we also try really hard to build relationships. You know, not, not everybody that is in those positions are, are terrible. Some of them, like myself, at one time, I didn't know. I just didn't know what I didn't know. And so to educate um, the people that are in our school system and other parents so that we can have that positive change that we need in our schools. So let me ask you this. So what were you seeing in the schools that made you resign? Because you went to school after getting out of the Air Force to teach, which yes. I also did. Mm -hmm. MIT. Yeah. Well, for me, um, it was, I taught civics and history, and, and I think that one thing that our county does well, and I think our state as a whole does well, is teach civics. I hear a lot of people say that children don't learn that. They do. They are taught that. And I think we do a really good job. So we'll start with the positive. I think our county does a good job. I think our state does a good job teaching civic education in um, secondary school. But I taught history. And it wasn't that our textbooks were necessarily wrong. It's that they omitted a lot of information that was really important. So that always kind of bothered me. And at the time, I didn't really understand the why. It just bugged me. And so I was working double time trying to find more sources to give my students a, a full picture of what our history looks like. Um, but personally, it was behavior. It, got, it just got out of control. It was unchecked. Um, the school systems are using things called MTSS and something called PBIS, and that's positive behavior intervention support. Um, and there's something called restorative justice, which requires no discipline at all. And the children just weren't behaving in class. I couldn't get support from my administration. And I eventually was just wash my hands of it. It's like, I can't, I can't continue to, to teach things that do it wrong knowingly. And so I just decided that it wasn't the role for me anymore. And, and, and that's happening. I think a lot teachers are really just, it's exhausting um, to, to know that you're not fulfilling your passion. And at the same time, like they're not, the behavior is insane. So those two together, I just said, okay, I'm done. What does that mean? Like you'd have behavior problem in the classroom. Like when I was in school, um, you know, we would get kicked out of class. So no, you know. no, no. Um, 
the system is the way they have it now is especially this restorative justice and i would encourage all of the people that are listening um to this to kind of think about looking into it because it doesn't require the students to change behavior really at all um it doesn't give any consequences for their behavior so they don't stop doing what it is that they're doing um and the teachers like they can write a referral, you know, and sometimes they end up straight up in the trash, you know, <laughs> um, but this, they don't give any consequences to those students. And without that, without teaching children what is correct behavior and what is not correct behavior and then correcting inappropriate behavior, you just setting them up for failure in their classroom and, and they can't learn. And the other 25 kids can't learn either. And um, that's kind of what the teachers are dealing with. And my heart just breaks for them because they try so hard. Um, and in many, many ways, the the system says it's the teacher's fault. Like you don't have good classroom management. You don't, but the teacher's hands are tied. They can't give consequences. So um, that's kind of where that what was the final like blow for me. These kids that I had students that were vaping in my classroom. They were, uh, you know, swearing, flipping desk over, and nothing's happening. They're selling vape pens in class, and I'm like, if we can't address this, then I I don't want to be part of it anymore. So. I just said goodbye to that and it, it didn't help that, that it was the same year as COVID too and I was not going to go by the guidelines of wearing masks and that kind of stuff so it was just kind of a perfect storm for me. I understand that I ended up having to teach with what well, we had the at the, the local college uh, a mask that was clear or a mask and I chose the clear one because I had to wear one and it was so hard, even that, because the air you're it's coming back at you. It took so mm -hmm. much to breathe and teeth because mm -hmm. you talk. It takes a lot of effort, and it's so bad for your lungs. It's so bad for you know everything. Let alone kids that have disabilities and need to read your lips. Yes. Anyway, it's just bad. But um, so. Moms for Liberty is focused on our chapter specifically. Um, tell me what the overall Moms for Liberty is focused on, and then we'll talk about what. Well, empowering parents um, to, to hold their elected official accountable, to make sure that they have a seat at the table in all the decisions and that, that, you know, in the education system, but also medical decisions, that kind of stuff, that we have a seat at the table, that we, that we decide um, what is best for our children. And that's gotten away from it's, at, it's gotten insane is what it has these there are teachers and there are doctors and there are psychiatrists that think that they make all the decisions for our children um i seen that uh gosh it was just the other day that wine gardener the teacher the teacher union president um she was saying that the teachers know best they know better than the parents and they decide and parents don't have a say in curriculum and so we push really that hard on that no we're not going to do that parents decide um, what is appropriate, what isn't for our children, what the best education is for our children, and then also medical decisions. I'm sure you're aware of some of the crazy that's going on in the world with so-called gender-affirming care, where they want to not even allow parents to say in those things. Um, schools are giving breast binders to little girls without their parents' knowledge or consent. Um, they're socially trans, yes, they're socially transitioning children, they're changing their names, um, you know, in school to different genders without any knowledge of parents, any consent. So we just push back really hard on that. Whatever it is, the decisions with these children, our own children, we're gonna make those decisions. Um, but it's, it's, it's a hard culture thing to change because the teachers have been told for a very long time that they um, make the decisions, that they are the professionals. So they can decide what is best for, for our kids. And it's, it's gonna be a really uphill battle, I think, to change the hearts and minds of all of the educators, not to mention all of the, you know, the leaderships at the schools and the teachers 
education system themselves where you go get your teaching degree it, that's it's just riddled with all that and so i think it's going to be a long uphill battle yeah that's really unfortunate would you recommend people homeschool their kids i i can only say what i'm gonna do um i'm pulling my i made the decision to pull my um, they won't be going back into public school um, next year. Um, my daughter is a freshman this year. I'm going to homeschool her um, myself next year. I'm still in, still a certified educator, so I can do that. Um, and I'm going to homeschool her, and my son will be doing dual enrollment, but he will not be doing it on the school campus. He will be going to the college to do that, which I was talking to one of my friends, and I was like, man, that's kind of a weird um, a way to feel because I feel like they're safer on a college campus than I do at our local high school, which is just kind of it's unsettling to me that I feel that way, but this is true. There's more violence at our school, um, at the local high school. There's violence, there's drugs, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And it's not happening on a college campus at the same level it's happening at the high school campus. And, and that's just something unsettling about that. But it, it is, that's the way it's going to be. So my kids will be home and in dual enrollment at the college next year. And even if you're not a certified teacher, guys, you can homeschool your kids. There's lots of- yes, Absolutely and community groups and you can teach your friends kids one subject and they teach mm -hmm. your out there look into it okay look into it um okay so tell me what you're finding in our local county what are you finding on the shelves well, uh, well we started with the library shelves right so um i i started this chapter and, and part of me because i had taught in clay county um I didn't think maybe we would have as much problems or as the same issues that we were seeing across the country. Maybe ours would be pale in comparison to some of the issues. Maybe we just had these tiny little things to tweak. Um, and the more I learned, the more I realized that we have exactly the same problems at the same level as everyone else. We're not special in our tiny little community here. Um, so we started uh, last summer, we did what we call a summer reading project. And we began to look into what was in our libraries, in our, in our local, junior high school and even elementary school libraries and I got some resources from some other moms literacy groups what they were finding in their in their schools and then kind of compared to what we had in our schools and we found some of the most despicable disgusting stuff that as an adult I wouldn't recommend people read um, many of these books did you want me to share a couple of the examples I mean I know I can't read it to you because it would be you know violate some rule or law but I can tell you a little bit about a couple of them and give you some titles isn't that the crazy part it could violate FCC rules, yet they're giving it to the middle schoolers, elementary school, high school students. Mm -hmm. So they're indoctrinating them, putting porn, different nasty stuff in them, but it could violate FCC rules. It's insane. And, it, it, and that's kind of what happens at the school board, right? We go to try to read them and they cut the mics because it violates rules. And it's like, well, why would you give it to our children? And they're not. Not anymore. I think we've. I think we're start. We're on the winning side of this now. I think at least in our county, we're making change. Um, but for a while there, it was like, oh, well, it's fine to read. And like, how? How? How so? How did? How did that even work in your mind? Um, but we've been successful. I can't read them to you, but I can give you a couple of examples that what came from our summer reading project last year. Um, in case parents are interested and want to check and maybe in their schools. So um, what we did was we bought the books and we made these pretty little folders so we can share. Um, and we just took excerpts from the actual books. And again, I can't read them to you, but I can give you kind of a little synopsis. Um, here we have a book called Soul. Um, just from the title, you might anticipate that we are selling something. Well, they're selling children and they're selling children to grown men. All right, so it's a book about human trafficking, but it's not a book about 
human trafficking in the sense that we would talk how to stay safe, how to protect yourself, like we would want our schools to do. You know, this is how you recognize where you might be in danger. No, this is going to tell you exactly how they rape this little girl repeatedly over and over and over again. Different men. Um, it does include the sights, the smells, tastes of everything to do with her rape. What is that for? What is it listed as for? Like what age? Well, so this was in, um, this was as young as, like this was uh, junior high. It was found in junior high schools. So um, we're talking 11, 12 year olds. So young children. Um, here's another really good example. Well, this one's called Crank, all right? We could, maybe if you looked at the title of this, you might say maybe that's not a good thing, right? Because it's not a gear, right? It's crank drops, right? So this particular book has a bunch of explicit sex, but in this one, there's a bunch of prostitution because they're selling drugs, they're buying drugs, with lots of prostitution. Um, very, very disgusting. Um, it does have sexual battery. It describes, again, the sights, the smells, the touches, the taste, the pain of all of these things that are happening to these children. And in this book, these children are sometimes being raped by adults. So we have pedophilia in this one as well. And um, Lucky is, this one was interesting because this is one of the ones that got the mic cut off at the school board meeting. Um, this one is a very, very, very graphic um, depiction of rape. It has a little bit of drug and alcohol on it, but it's, it's really the, the rape story. And this one is really despicable. And um, it's, it's, it's just awful. I don't even know. This one's fine. Tricks. And we're not talking about cereal. This is tricks. This is prostitution. So this is a book that was found. I think this one was only in the high schools. Um, this is child rape, right? Over and over and over again. And um, the Nowhere Girls is the same thing, except this is a lot of pedophilia. So there's lots and lots of rape, um, but it's involving minors. So rape of minors over and over again. And um, living something called the Living Dead Girl, right? This is child abuse, rape, um, incest and also suicide, um, but not in a nice way, like a relieving way, like committed suicide, now I'm free kind of way. Um, the worst one, in my opinion, that I read was this book called Push. Um, in that particular book, it is it is rape of a child um, and incest in that particular book. And I had, to, I had to do a lot of praying, a lot of soul searching after reading that one. Um, in this particular book, this young girl is raped repeatedly by her father. Her mother, in, in this book, her mother's holding her down for these rapes. Um, it goes into very graphic detail about how everything smelled and the things tasted, body fluids tasting. I mean, it's just despicable. Um, it's written very poorly as well. And um, that this particular girl, um, through these rapes, she gets pregnant by her father. So she has two kids um, by her own father. Um, she's molested by her mother, her body. And she gets so used to these rapes in this book that her body begins to respond positively to these rapes and she has orgasms, but it's just despicable, it's disgusting. That's a small sample. Um, they, I think to date they have removed 97 from our county, all of them like this, exactly like this. Um, the trend is rape and child rape. It's, it's just what you see over and over again. So we're not reading romance novels where these young couples, they fall in love and maybe they have consensual loving sex. That's not what they're doing. It is rape of children repeatedly. And so as a mother and, you know, you're in Moms for Liberty, what do you believe is the outcome for a child or, or a pubescent teen or a, a high schooler, male and female, to read these? What do you think that does to them? Well, I mean, I, mean, I think it normalizes it to them, right? So 
if you read books, book after book after book that's written like that, then you might expect sex to be happening in a very violent way, in a non-consensual way. You know, you might think as a young male that it's okay to treat women this way. This is how you approach, um, you know, sex with, with, with girls. And so it just normalizes it. And so what are they, they're going to end up raping each other all day. <laughs> like, I mean, that's what other, what other result could be, right? So we learn about the world around us sometimes through books. And it's very disheartening to me that publishers are putting this in the hands of children. Um, those books should be, I remember reading romance novels when I was a little girl, probably some that I wasn't supposed to, right? Probably some that had a little bit more um, steamy, right? A little more steamy than what I was actually supposed to because I got a hold of some of my, my grandma's books and y'all know about those books, right? Uh, the Western romance novels, right? And they were steamy, but they were, they were books, of, they were stories about love right? And um, there were stories about, you know, you meet this guy and you fall in love and then there's some steamy stuff in there, but they're happily ever after. These books don't have any of that. There's no love. There's no compassion. There's, and there's hardly any consent ever. Um, and so what are you telling them? This is how you experience physical attraction. It's just, it's just really sad that that's what we tell our kids. It makes it look like we're animals. We're not humans. Right. And, um, and so, you know, this whole interview series is to writers and it's like writers did this. Writers mm -hmm. are raping children through their words. Like, because, you know, you, you, we think in images. So they're putting images of rape in the mind. It traumatizes people. Just like you watch a horror movie, it traumatizes you. It traumatizes you. It's like mm -hmm. you did it and um i would say the writers that are writing that are getting off on it and if they're not doing it in person i'd be shocked and so if you know a writer who wrote these you know what you should probably investigate their life and see perhaps and i i do believe that these books do cause trauma because after as an adult having read them they bothered me like it, it, it bothered me. It was heavy for me to read it. And I did it because somebody's got to read it and get out of the schools. Right. Um, I will give a shout out. We do have um, one of our community members and I'm so forever and always grateful for this man. Um, he has taken on that burden and he's doing the majority of the reading of this stuff. And, and it, I don't know that I could have kept doing it long-term. I mean, we did it for the summer. We got through about 25 books, you know, between our little group. I don't know. God must watch out for him. I don't know how he continually keeps that pace and exposing himself to that. I would just be, I don't know, probably a hot mess because it's just, it's so heavy and, and it is traumatizing. And it, I've had somebody tell me, oh, well, we need those books in the library because what if a child had been great? Maybe that'll help them cope with it. And I just, I don't even understand the mentality of that. Why would we not send them to therapy or to a counselor or provide support? We hand them a book about somebody being raped and that's supposed to help them it's just awful and that's the justification when i say justify that what you can't defend this is what they say it'll help somebody that's been raped before no it won't it really won't relive it are you kidding Can right you know? or makes them be uh it could make uh girls be afraid of men boys yes. be like literally afraid of them well, I will tell you that because of the volume of the incest and, and just raping of children, it bothers me because I, I worry that it's going to normalize that for these kids. And if they are, 
being as if they are being abused, then maybe they say, well, this happens to a lot of people. This happens to everyone. And so maybe I don't need to go find someone to tell, right? Um, as opposed to giving them, what else are they going to do? This is just normal. I mean, everybody, ha this happens to everybody, right? This happens in everybody's house. And it's just, there's no way that that's helpful to kids. It's just not. And, and they need to be gone. They need to be gone from every school and every, in my opinion, even in the public library, they need to shift that over to the adult se section, you know, kids just shouldn't be able to pull it off a shelf and read that. Yeah. And the librarians and the media specialists need to be held accountable for what's on their shelves. Yes, they should be reading every single thing that's on their shelf. And if they, you know, they don't have time, then those books shouldn't be on there until they've gone through them. I agree. And we're pushing really hard. Moms for Liberty is pushing really hard to make that happen. And um, we haven't gotten all the way, you know, through it yet, but we're, we're going to have eyes on those books. And the vast majority of those books that have been challenged are, and, and they, they like to say, oh, you're challenging them because of the race of the author, which is ridiculous. And it's not even true. The, almost, I think it was something like of 20 something, it was like four or five written by black authors. But of course this makes me a racist. Um, like it's, it's ridiculous, it's a lie. But none of those things are true. They're being removed because they are full of porn and rape. And, and that's one of the messages we really, we do need some help from, from our community and from authors like yourself and maybe say, hey, this no, this I've looked at these things and they are in fact pornographic and they're awful for kids and let's not hand those to children. Um, so to get these books removed, you, do you have to go to the school board? I mean, like, what's the process? It's cumbersome is what it is. So you have to read the book, which, and I don't even have a problem with that because as somebody that likes to read, right. And somebody that, that is cautious, because I, I do believe it back in the day, it was kind of people were challenging books for the, for the wrong reasons. And so they would just challenge books that should stay there. Um, I think of Mice and Men and, you know, some of the other, um, some of the other books and they just got challenged. And so I'm a, a dearly believe that we need to keep as much literature to our children that's appropriate, give them as many options as appropriate for them. So the process is you got to read it. And I don't have a problem with that. It does take a lot of time. Um, but if you are making a decision to remove literature from, from a school, there should be, in my opinion, some investment on your part to be sure that you're challenging something that's worthy of being challenged, you know, and you're not just taking it out because you don't like the author or whatever. Um, so we read them. And then um, usually we, I hate doing this because I hate to give these authors money. Um, so I try to buy them from like thrift books or somewhere, you know, like a used book place because I don't want to give them any more money. Um, I have gotten them from the library, but it's easier for me to just order them and read them. Um, but we read them and my group, we transcribe. So it looks like, like we just seriously sit there and type all the nonsense up so that they know exactly like it, they end up looking like this. So everything that's bad, we type it all up with page numbers. There's forms that we got to fill out to the district. And um, right now the district's requiring hard copy papers. So we can't even like send it in. They want hard copy papers. So we have to get it to them. And then it goes on a list and they kind of sort through that list and start removing them. It, it takes forever um, to get it done. Like the ones we challenged last year are just now coming off, like coming off the um, destiny system. So, which is where they, the catalog, I guess. So it took about a year for some of them. So you challenge them and you fill out all the papers. Like, do you take them to a school board meeting or where do you take them? You can take them to the district office and, and you can take all those papers and you can drop them off. You can mail them, certified mail. I wouldn't just mail them because they get lost. Uh, you can mail them there. 
um, to the district office, or you can hand deliver them if that's what you choose, but you've got to get the physical copies to um, the school district. So do you recommend though that people go to school board meetings and bring awareness? Absolutely. Bye. Absolutely. I wouldn't have, well, because I wouldn't have known about this and our, we would still have every single one of these books on the shelves if I hadn't listened to someone else at a school board meeting. And it wasn't our local school board meeting. It was, I was watching um, a video that had like a clip of another mom in another county reading this stuff. And that's what got me going, oh, well, I wonder if we have this here. So the more I dug, the more I found. So absolutely. I think, I think if parents knew what was in these books and in their libraries, a lot of couches would be on fire and a lot of school board meetings would be full. That's what I believe. I think that we've got to, we've got to educate on, you know, our fellow, all, all the parents and the citizens to know what's in there because I don't think they know. Or if they do, they don't think it's that bad. And, and they need to know how truly how bad it is. It's not a romance novel. It's not what we're looking at. No, it's horrifying. And um, so I'm pretty sure my kids have read some of those because they- I did. It makes me really angry that people that I trusted, they broke my trust. They hurt my children in a way that- you know, I can't change. Right. Well, I, I think for me too, one of the struggles I have as a mom is, and I feel like so terrible because I thought I was doing a great job as a mom. I would take my children and I would tell them, you go to that school library and you get a book and I would bring them home and I'm trying to try not to cry. <laughs> and I would say, okay, you get your butt in that room and you read that 30 minutes every single day because it's good for you. And I'm a hundred percent sure that I handed, I know I handed my children things they shouldn't have had. And I pat myself on the back after sending them to their room, poured myself a glass of wine and said, I'm such a great mom. I never thought to open a book. I, I just trusted the district to do a good job and, and they didn't. And I mean, I pray over my kids and, and, and I pray that God heals whatever um, my failures resulted in because I should have been looking. Um, we, we just can't blindly trust anymore. I, I feel the same. Um, so for people out there who want to write books for, you know, middle grade, elementary, high school students, like what kinds of books would you as a mom and a teacher want them to write? Like, what should they be focusing on? Because time is, you know, getting a book out can take a long time. So I personally recommend indie publishing. You do have to pay for your editing. You have to make sure it's good, et cetera, et cetera. But like, what kinds of things would you like people to write? Well, I think that there's an absence of good, wholesome love stories, right? And um, I have my daughters are freshmen in high school. These girls love love stories. They need alternatives to this. They need good, wholesome love stories. Um, I think that they would really enjoy them. And, and th th something has to replace this because we're pulling all this junk out of there. And, and we're going to make sure that they're removed. But then the shelves are going to be empty because there's not going to be much left and the kids won't have access to kind of those sweet romance novels that you that you want to read, you know, in high school. Um, so that would, I would love to see that. Um, and, and not so much on the porn story, but there's a bunch of CRT style books out there too that tell a lot of racial lies. And um, so if somebody wants to write accurate, you know, stories about history would be wonderful um, to kind of tell the other side because we're just riddled with that too. There's tons of those um, very, very racially charging. Um, it's just terrible, those books. And so I would love to see answers to that. So if somebody was interested in history and, and 
and wanted to write it in a way that wasn't boring to teenagers, I think would be amazing. Um, because sometimes the hit somebody that taught history, a lot of the historical books are just kind of boring. And so to kind of maybe pull out some of these really great stories on um, about how America is wonderful and how we have overcome some of some of the worst atrocities ever known to humankind, right? We did slavery, but how we overcome that and and what it took, and um, I think would be wonderful. I think that we're missing a lot of, and, and you have to go dig and find them, but you can find some really good stories about um, some of the Union soldiers and the sacrifices they made, because those were Americans too. And so if we're going to paint America in a terrible light, let's give those stories on the other side too. So I would love to see some of that, because um, I think that's something that we're just kind of missing, um, you know, kind of in the novel world. And um, and then, I don't know, if you were a journalist, please start posting. The truth would be wonderful, right? Um, if we have journalists out there or blog post writers, um, I think it would be wonderful to just go to your school board meeting, talk to your, um, you know, if you have a chapter of Moms for Liberty there, go take a look at some of those books and then answer that because there's a lot of lies out there. You know, they're just moving the books for no reason and the books aren't that bad. And, you know, go find out for true and then then publish those, those truths, you know? I've seen a couple of... Um, and it wasn't even, they weren't even writers. And I, and I just applaud these brave um, parents. They started writing letters to the editor, say, this is the truth. And, and they have it published in the paper to kind of say, this is what's actually happening. Um, and that was just moms that, that they weren't writers, that they wanted that out there. Um, so, I mean, I think that's some, some things that we can get from, you know, the authors could kind of help with that. That's really good. And, you know, um, like Harriet Beecher Stowe, like Lincoln um, said, like her book was, it was like that last final thing that made him go to right. war, civil war. People forget that tens of thousands, I don't know how many um, white men, I don't go by color skin, but you know, white men fought to end slavery. They mm -hmm. laid their lives down to end it. And we are the only country that fought a war to stop it. Right. You know, and still do it mm -hmm. and enslave children today. Yes. And and those stories aren't being told. They, they just want to paint, you know, one side and, and they don't tell those stories. And there's some really, really amazing ones out there. Like just unbelievable the sacrifices um, made by people to end it. And, and I think their story should be told. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Since you brought up the Union soldiers, um, why don't you mention like part of the reason why some Union soldiers still had to fight for the South, even if they didn't believe in slavery? Why'd they have to? Family connections is one of them. Um, you know, geographical lines were one of them. And there were many reasons why people even though they opposed slavery might have fought, a lot of it was economics. It was livelihoods. Um, there were many, many reasons to do that. I don't know if you had one in particular in mind. Um, well, because like people think, well, everybody who fought in the South, and I didn't know this till I moved to the South, by the way, right? indoctrinated around, you know, in the public school system. But a, like a lot of them, they fought because their land was going to be stolen. Their family yep. was annihilated. It wasn't yes. that having slaves or enslaving people. And then if you were born into a family that was doing it for generations, oh, families did split up. Mm -hmm. A lot of went and fought for the North and, you know, so, oh, I was talking about Confederate, sorry. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. You know, like, like Confederate, that's why a lot of Union 
But even though, I mean, the union, uh, the people in the North, they were the ones that um, had the businesses and actually profited on a lot of the people that in the South, they were enslaving people, but the people in the North. Were... <laughs> right. Well, there's, uh, you know, one thing that I found really, really interesting through teaching um, history is whenever I would teach them about the election, right, 1860, and I would tell them that, you know, it was Lincoln, and, you know, and I talked about, you know, his, uh, that he was a Republican, and these kids would look at me with like, like, what? Lincoln was a Republican, but all Republicans are racist, and I'm like, what? That's not, that's not even feasible because Lincoln was a Republican. That, and then they would argue with me. No, 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 no. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Here's the, you know, the ballot. Here's like, let me show you the historical reference. Yeah, that's a Republican. But these kids, they, they don't know that. And things like that's one of those things in the textbook. It just wasn't there, right? It just wasn't there uh, because it doesn't fit a narrative. So it didn't necessarily say anything wrong. It didn't say he was a Democrat, but it just didn't mention the party because it doesn't fit a certain narrative. And I think that's really sad because the kids can understand that we have parties and they've changed some a little bit, you know, um, the platforms change. You've got to pay attention to that. Um, and it's not a political argument, but you, it's what the platform said at the time. This is what that person believed at the time, you know, and it, that's how you look at history, you know, without So you mentioned the narrative. So what is the narrative that uh, people that are in power, that teachers teach, and then they may actually believe the narrative about um, blacks and whites and stuff. Like, what is the narrative and why do they teach it? What's the goal for that? I think ultimately almost all this stuff, the porn, the narratives, all that, I think it's really just to break down the, the nuclear family and, and the fabric of society ultimately, because there's no way that all these things together have a good purpose. Not not any of them can, you know, have a good purpose. Um, I think that want to sow division, right? So if we can find a way to convince kids um, to hate each other, right, um, based on skin color, um, instead of judging each other by the content of their character, which what we all agree we should do, um, they they're teaching them to be racist. They're teaching them to look at each other in a certain kind of way. Um, and anything against that narrative, they erase, right? And then they replace it with some nonsense. So for example, the 1619 project, it's just nonsense. It's not even, it's not even factual at all. Um, but they're selling it in the schools, right? It's not legal in Florida. Right. And, and in part, thanks to parents in my group and others, because we're not going to do that. Um, it's just not factual at all. They they teach it in other in other states as it is fact. And it's not. And but it's to, I think it's to make our kids hate each other, because the more we're fighting, the more protected they stay. They were not going to we can't challenge them if we're too busy fighting each other. And I think that's the goal. Um, and it's just it's really heartbreaking because our our country has a really beautiful redemption story. Um, I'll give you a suggestion of a book. Um, Tim Scott, he wrote, um, he, he wrote America Redemption Story. It's really wonderful because he talks about the challenges in the South and he talks about true racism as it existed, or, you know, for his grandparents and then for his parents. Um, but then he talks about where he is. And I think he announced to run for president just like today or yesterday, right? So how far we've come as a country, we need more of those stories. But those stories are a threat to, to the power and control levers in our country. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's really good. Thank you. So um, tell us um, anything else you need to tell us about Moms for Liberty, Moms for Liberty, and how to get involved with them. Okay, so um, the, the easiest way to get involved 
get involved is to go to momsforliberty.org. Um, and there's a little map, you can go find my chapter and you can pull up a map and see if you have a chapter in your county. Um, if you don't have one, you can start one. Um, and know that seems like a big job and it is, but it's very rewarding. And I have met some of the best people and, and my now closest friends um, through this work. So it's definitely rewarding and well worth it. So you can find a chapter if you have one. If not, you can start one. Um, if that's a bridge too far for you right now and, and having a group or starting a group um, is too much for you, go to your school board meeting yourself and, and, and you know just see what's going on. Um, take a look in your uh, school library and see what's going on in there. Check your kid's backpack <laughs> um, and see what's in there look at their homework um, there's lots and lots of ways to get involved and kind of help bring this and, and a lot of it's just awareness like see what's happening um from there that's good so um give me some practical tips short-term steps that we could take um, to make a difference and then long-term steps for the authors the parents or everybody what everybody <laughs> Okay, so for parents, I would say start, I mean, even if you have to start small, right, um, I will tell you a little personal story uh, for a minute, I'll be real quick, that one of the things I kind of thought about when I got into this, you know, kind of thinking about school and education and, and Moms for Liberty and all that, one of the things I did, I just kind of rolled around in my head was like, how many hours have I spent on a soccer field? How many days have I checked to make sure that we had cleats and shin guards and socks? And on those same days, how many times did I fail to look at a homework assignment, to look at the content of what my children were reading? How many times on those, you know, those hours I spent, if I had invested a sliver of that time on going to a school board meeting, if I, if I talked to my children's teacher as much as I talked to their soccer coach, how much different could have education been for them? Um, and that lens helped me kind of shift my perspective a little bit and, and think about where I was um, kind of spending my time. So if you were a parent out super busy, and, and we all are, and um, all moms are busy and we never get a day off, but maybe think about your, you know, where you're gonna invest your time, talk to the teachers. If you are blessed to have enough time to visit classrooms, go visit the classroom and um, check the backpacks, look what's going on. It takes like five minutes to pull out their stuff. Well, unless you've got a high school student and then it's a mess at the bottom of the backpack, you know, but kind of sort through their backpacks, look at their assignments. If they have stuff on Google Classroom, have them log on and just look and see what's on there. Um, that doesn't take a lot of time, but I think you might be surprised at what you find. Um, and if nothing else, you know what they're learning. And that's that's always a positive thing being involved. Um, so that, that, that's something you could do anytime, any day. Longer term, I think we need to just really, everything we learn, we need to be very committed to telling our neighbors and our friends um, and kind of sharing what's going on because a lot of this stuff is hidden behind, you know, it's hidden behind these firewalls that we that we're not looking right. We have to go dig on dig through this and find it. So you share it. Um, I think doing like what you're doing right now, creating um, media and things you know, so we can share these stories and get the word out so that other parents become involved um, and more engaged in their education and take their rightful seat at the table um, when it comes to their kids' education. That's really good. And if you're teaching them the truth at home, mm -hmm. then ask them to please come and tell you when they come across a homework assignment or a book, mm -hmm. the way reading or, you know, when talking about race in a way that's um, opposite of what you taught them, you know, try to have that open dialogue. Mm -hmm. Well, um, is there anything else you want to tell us? Yeah. I appreciate this opportunity and I appreciate what you're doing. I, I, I think um, this is a wonderful project. Um, so I'm so, so super excited to hear about it. And um, 
keep it up and, and hopefully we inspire others. I, I like the message of hope, um, you know, that sometimes these things can feel like, and it does feel like you're fighting a long uphill battle and sometimes you're standing alone, but we're not, um, we are not alone. And you, there are people out there that, that understand the challenges. And so I appreciate you bringing these stories out and kind of, I watched a couple of them and I'm like, man, we've got some, so many wonderful people out there. So I appreciate that. Thank you. And um, how can people get a hold of you if they need to ask you questions or find out how to start their own group? Okay, um, so best way is email. So it's Clay County Moms for Liberty at gmail.com. And that's my email. Liberty, is that an, a number? It's F O R. It's F O R. So Clay County Moms for Liberty.com. No. Mm -hmm. No. At gmail.com. Gmail I'm like, that's not an email address. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tanya. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate thank you. It. I love everything you're doing and how much you're helping the kids all in this county and making a difference. Thank so, you. Until next, next time, everybody, keep writing and we will see you later. Bye. Thank you, Tanya. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you're looking for information on how to write a novel, a memoir, or a nonfiction book, go to thewritersacademy.net. That's right, thewritersacademy.net for details. And until next time, keep writing.